This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And welcome, welcome, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you happen to be. I, I, one of my Instagram followers I see here has joined us on IG Live from India, which I think is great. So you're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vet with Dr. Jeff. We're here for you, we're here for your pets. So any questions you may have, now is the best time to do it. You can get a hold of us very easily, either toll-free phone call at 877-385-8882. Once again, that's 877-385-8882. 8882 or better yet join us here live on zoom you go into pet life radio you scroll down to shows hit ask the vets with dr jeff and click on it there's a link left you there click on the link and you can join us live here on pet life radio so um as you know i like to peruse the news see what's going on having two audiences which is great having you here at pet life radio you here at, um, at ig live so if there's any questions, anything you have, now's a great time to ask. One thing that I do want to do is go over before we get busy. There were a, a couple of questions that I wanted to get to that were from you over on Instagram last week. The first one is, why test vaccines on dogs? You know, it's a good question. I think that from a, you know, a politically PC, politically correct standpoint, we're seeing less and less work done on live animals. You don't see the, the food companies keeping colonies of beagles and testing everything. Um, the, you know, there's so much out there that you can just test on animals that are already there. Now, obviously, when it comes to vaccines or anything, they ha- have to run through animals first. I, you know, I, I, unless, unless you get volunteer people that are willing to volunteer to have something that's never been tried before, and we've tested it, the computers, everything we've done, machine learning says it's going to work. All of a sudden, we're going to want to put it to the test on you. Are you going to get some volunteers? Maybe. You know, apparently, they do things like this in prisons, and, uh, but it has to be done on animals first. Lab animal medicine, it's not a, a popular discipline within veterinary medicine, but I do know some people that went lab animal. And, uh, and their goal is they know that it's a necessary evil, but they want to keep these animals as well cared for and as possible and make sure their, their environments are clean and they're kept well. So as I said, it is a specialty within veterinary medicine. But you know, interestingly, what we are learning is that a lot of the things that we have done on animals that have worked then goes on to people. So for any people out there that have issues with um, animals, those animals that were tested can save your life or a loved one's life. So is it great? Is there a better alternative yet? No, they're working on it, I know. But uh, right now, regardless of what it shows in the laboratory, regardless of what it shows on the mechanical testing, it's gotta be tried somewhere on a, a living being. And, uh, and that's you know, why we see these things. So if you can come up with a better solution, then that's great. But there's nothing, which is gonna get to the next point I'm gonna talk to about the anesthesia, there is nothing that can that mimic the actual real life thing other than another real life thing. So it is what it is. Now, next one was anesthesia. Question is, how safe, how many dogs actually die from anesthesia? And I, and I think this is really a great point. Thanks, uh, Eloise. Because here's what, what we find is that the safety is unbelievable. And are you going to hear stories about, yes, the dog went under anesthesia for a routine procedure like a dentistry, right? And then doesn't make it, doesn't wake up. I will tell you this, from performing thousands of anesthesias, 
to tell you I've never had a complication would be lying. Of course we do. But one of the things, first of all, no two of these living beings we just talked about when it comes to testing vaccines are exactly alike. As a matter of fact, most drugs are given dose ranges. It might be one half to one milligram per kilo or whatever it is, or 0.02 to 0.03. There's always a little range, and sometimes there's not, but not every two beings, whether it's same thing with humans, are exactly the same. So you can have test after test after test. You can have a hundreds of thousands of cases of that dose range, and it's perfect. It works every time. And all of a sudden, then you get one animal, one animal for some reason is hypersensitive or not sensitive enough, and you have a complication. I will tell you that there's no way to predict every single animal under every single circumstance. You can have the same animal that had the same anesthetic six months earlier, a year earlier, and comes back in for another procedure, and now can have a bad reaction. You can have a person who can go into a restaurant and eat something, never had a problem, and all of a sudden drop dead from anaphylaxis. I mean, there are some things we just can't control. Having said that, I will say that from my experience, most of the anesthetic complications that we have in pets, and this is not going to make you feel really good, are human error. Somebody did something wrong. Somebody forgot to do something. Someone wasn't monitoring. Someone wasn't seeing the, the signs. We have the monitors up there. We have the heart respiration rate. We have the, the O2 concentration. And someone, someone missed something. Or here's another uh, statistic. Most of the anesthetic complications we have are really going after, after the procedure. This is enduring recovery. And that's because somebody maybe removed the endotracheal tube too early or wasn't monitoring, or the dog was in a position where it cut off its own oxygen supply, and no one noticed that the tongue was turning blue. I mean, yes, these things can happen, but I will tell you that age is not a disease. So when someone says, well, we don't want to anesthetize him because he, he's already 13. I knocked out my 15-year-old Labrador for a two-and-a-half-hour procedure, and he went on to live to a year, to 16 and a half. If I took that attitude that I couldn't anesthetize him to take this tumor off because he was 15, we would put it to sleep, had to put him to sleep within two or three days. So was it worth the risk? You bet it was worth the risk. So age is not a disease. I would rather knock down, anesthetize a 15-year-old dog whose bloods and vitals are great than a 10-year-old dog who has evidence of kidney disease or liver disease, right? Or respiratory problems. That's the risk. Age alone is not the risk. Can you imagine, can you imagine if, if you know, grandma falls and breaks her hip and she's 94, and the doctor says, comes in and says, you, I got to tell you, your grandma's in amazing shape, but we can't do, operate because she's 94. No, it depends on other factors. Age alone is not the fact. Now, do we take age in consideration in determining, say, what the best anesthetic plan might be or what the best anesthesia agent we're going to use? Of course, but we're not going to not do something. We're not going to not anesthetize a dog who needs or a cat or a patient who needs to be anesthetized for a procedure just because their age. So as I said, I am a, a big fan, obviously, of doing what's necessary, taking the necessary precautions if there is a problem or an underlying condition, but I'm not, not going to do something that needs to be done. So anyway, that's why I am. Uh, and uh, here's an, another comment from uh, one of the biggest vet rescues I work with, Eloise from Vicky. Their dogs, they've had 3,000 dogs and cats go under anesthesia for some procedure, and I have been all 100% okay. So that kind of tells you, and that's most of the time. It's such a low, low percent. 
So when your doctor, your veterinarian says, we need to do something, something needs to be done. Don't say, well, I can't, I don't want to do it because he's 10 or 12 or 13 or 14. No, 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 no. So very important to weigh everything. More importantly, what I want to know is what do the bloods look like? How are the x-rays? How's his heart doing? That's, that's the important stuff, not just the age. So anyway, any other comments about that? I'd love to hear them, but I will tell you that if your pet needs something and your pet checks out well, then don't hesitate, do it. Okay, so another story, we're gonna save Thanksgiving for the last half. So just so you know, I got lots of stuff to talk about Thanksgiving. COVID-19 species likely to spread the virus. Now here we're learning more and more. Again, we are giving it to them. So far, they're not giving it to us, but they can. These are the species that we're seeing in large numbers that are seem to be very, very hypersensitive to COVID-19. They are. The white-tailed deer, we've heard a lot about that. The striped skunk, and there's skunks in my neighborhood, so we've got to be careful about that. There are 76 different rodent species, water buffalo, mink, and bats. And I've also heard that ferrets may be uh, acting as a reservoir a little bit there. Certainly, they can get it from us. Mink are notorious. So, um, And now the white-tailed deer, they think the white-tailed deer is going to be a new reservoir. So again, we um, just keep in mind, if you happen to see a white-tailed deer in your backyard, be careful. Okay. Next is, uh, this was really cool. So a, well, there, there's a condition we see that is called megasophagus. With megasophagus, the esophagus doesn't have the muscle tension and um, to propel the food from the mouth, from the, it goes down the esophagus, it's supposed to go into the stomach and propel that food properly into the stomach. The food just sits there. And often animals with megasophagus with ha having a neuromuscular issue, for example, uh, dogs with myasthenia gravis often have megasophagus. They tend to aspirate and it's potentially dangerous. And we have to have them feeding by elevating the food and, and feeding small amounts. And, but we always didn't know about consistency. This is really cool. So this veterinarian, her name is Jillian Haynes. She used video fluoroscopy to determine how long foods of different consistencies will take to reach the stomach in dogs with megasophagus. So now we have something that's more concrete, something that's more specific that we could say, don't just try feed X, Y, Z or this soft. We will know now, hopefully within more and more animals that she's going to study, just what we can get away with. What is the, the ideal consistency for having the food just not sit there in the stomach? So anyway, I thought that's great. So that was a cuss coming in. Pulling on a dog in general caused tracheal issues. It just happens over time with small dogs. Ah, Okay, we'll talk about that. That's tracheal issues, tracheal collapse. We see this a lot in small breeds. So, oh, and this is also very sad. I, I have to feel a responsibility to report the, the good stuff, but also the bad stuff. Okay, starvation is likely the cause, check this out, of most of the 1,003 manatee that have died, and this is reported from Florida, this year alone. Now, that's very sad. Now, they say manatee are truly the gentle designs. They're related to elephants, actually. and they are amazing creatures and very friendly, just like I said, gentle giants. So they feed, they're vegetarian. They feed on a lot of seagrass. And now because of large algae bloom that are covering the surface of waters, not allowing light to get in. So there's been a, a great shortage of the seagrass, which is the major food supply of the manatee. So anyway, that, that is, it's very sad. So it's also the, not just covering up the food, the seagrass, but it's also this trend signals the decline. This is the concern in our ecosystem health. So that is a very, very sad thing. Uh, years ago, I don't know if you guys remember this about a 
the hypoallergenic cats. Somebody was trying to sell somebody, a firm, a, a company, these hypoallergenic cats. And it turned out to be bogus. They were taking regular cats. Who knows what they were doing? They were taking people's money. I mean, it was, then they all of a sudden couldn't be found. Their website was shut. I mean, it was nonsense. It was a scam. But anyway, this is also uh, interesting, however, that may not be so far away. And here's why. So we know that the antigen that people are allergic to in cats, the allergen is the FEL-D1 protein. It's called feline D1, FEL-D1 for short. And this is at the root of most of our allergies, our meaning people, and I, look, I was very allergic to cats, dogs, cats, horses, sheep, goats, cows, you name it. When I was a kid, I was allergic to all of them. Hell of a vet student, huh? So um, the hypoallergenic cat hype was never happened. But here is some progress that might help us get to the point where you can have cats and be hypoallergenic. Number one, coating the dry cat food with an egg yolk derivative that um, basically that contains antibodies to FELD1. So since we don't have the antibodies, those people that are allergic, the antibodies come in the cat food that kills off the FELD1, and therefore the cats are emitting less FELD1 protein, and that way a person who's allergic is not going to be exposed to the FELD1. That's one way. Another one, it's a vaccine that induces the cat's immune system to make its own FELD1 neutralizing antibodies. So instead of vaccinating us, let's vaccinate the cat antibodies against FELD1 to denature to attack the FELD1. And then again, there'll be less FELD1 for us, the, the allergic cat person to be exposed to. And then there's another thing, and this is some sort of treatment that deletes the protein. It's called CRISPR, C-R-I-S-P-R. It's a, a laboratory technique that deletes the protein and produces a gene to help reduce the shedding of the allergen. So that's also really cool stuff. So for those of us that are anxiously awaiting who have cat allergies and want to be have cats, uh, there may be some things on the horizon for you. So uh, anyway, I think that's pretty, pretty cool stuff. All right, before we take a quick break, then come back and talk about Thanksgiving. Here is what I want to do. When you walk dogs, and the small breed dogs are very sensitive, have very sensitive necks and trachea, and often many of them will get like a tracheal collapse issues. The question is, when we walk them and they're young and they're healthy, having a collar around their neck, and then them pulling, could that be predisposing them? And the answer is very, very possibly. If you have a small breed or, or a dog that even does cough when they are having issues with a trachea, just put a harness on them. Walking dogs with harness, I know one of my dogs is a Frenchie, does much better with a harness. So listen, there's no downside, though there may be a downside to walking these dogs with a, a neck collar and having them pull, there's no downside with putting them into a harness, which puts all the weight in the shoulders and the front legs, and it doesn't touch the neck. So that would be my recommendation. If you have one such dog that you're concerned about, I would do that anyway. I think that would be a smart move. Anyway, don't go away. We'll come back. After these short messages, we're going to talk about Thanksgiving tips and Thanksgiving safety for our pets. So don't go away. So I just want to tell you about a company that I came across, and I really think what they do is great. Carlson Pet Products. Very, very affordable. The company specializes in creating pet safety products to keep your pet happily protected from the puppy stage through their senior years. They have a variety of products. They have pet pens. They have foldable elevated beds, crates, pet gates. I mean, all phenomenal stuff. Their pet gates I love because basically they fit any size opening in your home. And most of the gates also have like a walk-through door. It's a small door for your pet to pass through without having to remove the whole gate. So it's really, really cool. Look them up. 
carlsonpetproducts.com. Get a 25% discount and free shipping if you use the promo code PETLIFE, P-E-T-L-I-F-E. Check them out. You're going to love them. Does your pet's breath leave a bit or a lot to be desired? You can give your pet the gift of sweeter breath and you'll get sweeter kisses with Probiora Pet. That breath is the result of harmful bacteria which lives in your pet's mouth. And that harmful bacteria can lead to serious health problems. The solution is to crowd out that bad bacteria with positive bacteria. All it takes is one scoop a day of Probiora Pet mixed into their food to replenish the good bacteria. That's it. This all-natural, no-taste, no-odor powder is the only dental care probiotic for pets which delivers beneficial bacteria which supports tooth and gum health and crowds out the bad. A healthy body starts with a healthy mouth and Probiora Pet is the best way to give your pet a healthy mouth. And our listeners get a 10% discount using PLR10 at checkout. To purchase, go to probiorahealth.com. That's probiorahealth.com. And use code PLR10 at checkout for 10% off. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And welcome back. You're here live with Dr. Jeff here at Pet Life Radio. So uh, we had a couple of questions we answered. First of all, the dog flu. Yes, uh, you know, it's, it's still a lifestyle vaccine. If your dog's frequent, doggy daycare, dog parks, groomer, and uh, a lot of them are now requiring it anyway, but then you might be wise to get the dog flu because we're seeing many, many more cases. Uh, how important is it to get teeth cleaning yearly? Well, again, absolutely important. The question is, when do you start? So dogs and cats seem to start getting, developing what we call periodontal disease, the tartar on the teeth, the calculus, some, some gum irritation by the time they're three. So I would recommend by the time they're three, you should start thinking about routine cleaning for small breeds when they hit older ages, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10, you might need it not only yearly, but every, I mean, twice a year. So it's amazing. I have some big dogs come in that have literally, they're eight years old and, and never had a dental and their teeth are gorgeous. I was like, I had a cousin who we were the almost exact same age. We we're like, I think six weeks apart. And uh, I used to eat candy. He used to eat candy. I used to get uh, cavities. He never got a cavity. So you, it just, it just happens that way. So you can't always, uh, you can't always tell. So let's talk some basic things because we have about five minutes and I can talk very quickly in five minutes. So Thanksgiving. So first of all, as the saying goes, keep the food on the table, not on the floor. So uh, turkey, especially turkey skin, is very fatty. We have to worry about all fatty foods because dogs can get pancreatitis from eating fatty foods. And uh, that is very serious. Even desserts. Now, obviously, we know the thing is about chocolate. But again, it's the fats. It's the sugar. And a lot of people are trying to be conscientious. So what are they putting instead of sugar? Putting in xylitol. Well, xylitol, the artificial sweetener, highly toxic, highly toxic to our pets. Things like onions and raisins and grapes, also highly toxic. So you need to be very, very careful. The trash, the turkey carcasses, et cetera. So that is also a, uh, an issue. So bones, the poultry bones are very easy for dogs to chew on. And they easily, and they would like them. But the problem is when they break them, they can get very sharp edges, which is interestingly why if a dog gets a hold of some turkey bones or chicken bones, right? 
we don't want to induce vomiting because it's actually those sharp edges are safer in the stomach getting coated by food and ingesta, maybe some of the digestive juices working on it, then making them vomit where on the way up, it may not have cut the esophagus on the way down, but it can on the way back up, and then you have a big problem. Esophageal surgery, much more difficult. You got to go in through the chest, much more dangerous, much more complicated than stomach or intestinal surgery. So we want to avoid uh, having to ever uh, touch the esophagus if possible. Other hazards when it comes to Thanksgiving. Well, first of all, you're going to have people over. If you have dogs that are not super social, it's like any holiday. We'll talk about this come Christmas and Hanukkah. We, we talked about it, Halloween. If you have dogs that freak out with doorbells and are, are going to... Um, you know, possibly bolt out or, you know, maybe because of the excitement, get a little uh, aggressive or mouth happy, then you need to take the necessary precautions. As far as decorations, you know, plants, candles, things like that. You, of course, you always want to be careful. Someone's going to come over for dinner. They're going to bring you a nice, some flowers or, or a nice plant. Again, we want to be careful with that as well because dogs, they are, let's face it, they like to eat everything that's not bolted down. Uh, candles, very, cats, Cats and candles, think about this, is that cats are very inquisitive, as you know, and that flickering light is really, it's a big sign that says, come play with me. And so cats will be tapping it, tapping it, and want to know what it is, and then, heaven forbid, knock over the candle. We're going to talk about this again when it comes to lighting Nora and, and Hanukkah candles, but it's a problem. If you are traveling with your pets, the travel restrictions are always the same. First of all, know where you're going. In a sense, I mean, make sure that on the other end, it's as pet friendly as you think it is. If you're going to family for Thanksgiving, make sure they know you're bringing your pet or else it might be the last time you get invited, which may be your plan. Who knows? But you want to certainly be careful. Hotels, pet friendly hotels. They're, you see them. Yeah, look, a lot of hotels advertise pet friendly. That's great until you show up with your Great Dane. Oh, no, we have, we have a 40 pound limit. Uh, you know, there are all these little nuances traveling on a plane. You do know now that most airlines are no longer accepting emotional support animals, ESAs. So the only way to get an animal on board is for it to be a truly, not a, an emotional support animal, but a, an assistance animal, okay? So, you know, someone who has some sort of physical disability or whatever, th those are the ones that, that are allowed, and they have to be licensed, okay? So if they're not, licensed or they're not very well behaved and you try to pawn your biting Jack Russell Terrier onto a plane because he's because you're saying he's your he's your assistance animal <laughs> you both will be escorted politely off the plane so be very very careful with that you can't you don't want to mess with the system so either have a small dog that you can put in a bag under the seat in front of you it's still well behaved of course never overhead I'm sure you remember that story about the French bulldog in the overhead compartment we don't want that or they're going to have to travel down below. Uh, let's see what else on my list. Oh, in vehicles, obviously, basic safety. Put them in a, in a harness, attached to a seatbelt, put them in a carrier. Don't have your dog or your cat running around the car because they're going to be under your feet. They're going to stop you from hitting a brake when you need to hit a brake. And before you know it, you're both going to be hurt or everyone else in the car. So other than that, let's see. Oh, other good things, alcohol. I think we touched upon it last week. Alcohol can definitely be toxic to pets. The ethanol content is really what gets us. So the it's a pretty low amount. And all I know, it's, it's like 0.5 to 0.8 milligrams per kilo. And the average milliliter of ethanol is by itself is already like 0.08. So I mean, it's it doesn't take much. A couple of mLs and you can reach a toxic level. So you want to um, be very, very careful with that. Here's a question speaking about flying. What should you give a dog when flying? 
So it really depends on the animal. You know, one of the easiest things to use just to get that very mild chill could be Benadryl. Benadryl at a dose of a, a milligram per pound, meaning a 25-pound dog, it's a, a, an adult uh, Benadryl might do the trick. If you need something stronger, there are some natural calming products that you can use, things with chamomile, valerian root, passion flower, California pops. These are things that also can have a very mild sedative effect. And then if you need stronger than that, things like trazodone or acepromazine or alprazolam, which is Xanax, then you're going to need to talk to your veterinarian and get those prescribed by your veterinarian. Is it okay to give a dog Pedialyte? The answer is yes. Especially if you have a dog, it's a good source of the electrolytes. Uh, dogs that have been vomiting, uh, you're getting them back to eat. Uh, you can obviously get, uh, get the water, but Pedialyte is fine as well. And let's see if there's anything else. The dangers of pets and cargo. So, you know, again, it might be a little bit overplayed, but you will hear of the, of the incidents. What I would recommend doing is when you are going to have a pet traveling in cargo, you may need to be a little bit obnoxious and make a big deal about it to the personnel, the airline personnel, as you are making the reservations, bo literally boarding the plane, because they will tell you that they are temperature controlled, they are pressure controlled. And most of the cases, I mean, I've been on many, 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 many flights. And when I'm getting my oversized baggage, if I'm you know, doing some snowboarding or something, I see them bringing the dogs out in their big carriers and they're happy as can be. I personally, I've never been on a plane where there's been a problem, but you do hear about them when it happens. Is it because, it, was it specific to the animal? Did the animal freak out? Was the animal too hyper? Did the animal vomit and choke on its vomitus? Who knows? So the only thing you want to make sure is that the airline personnel 100% know that your dog is down below and have them double, triple check with baggage that everything is pressurized and temperature control there as well. You know, I would recommend this, what I tell if you have to have a dog that's going to be down below, take the little water container that attaches to the door of the, of the carrier, fill it up about three quarters with water and stick it in the freezer overnight. So in the morning, before you leave for the airport, take it out of the freezer. It's basically a block of ice. So you can't spill a block of ice. Then as they go on and it starts to melt, they can lap some water from the block of ice as it's melting. But again, it's not going to be the entire thing because they do get moved and they get shaken and they're lifted up onto the conveyor belt into the compartment. So again, whatever precaution you can take. So, you know, if you have an alternative, if you're very worried, look into the alternatives. Obviously, you can always fly privately. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> I hope you have a deep wallet. But there are, you know, there are ways. And again, I said to people this too. If you're going away just for a weekend and you have a big dog and you're going to go through all this problem for a weekend, you know what? Find somebody to house sit or a boarding facility. Just, you know, the kiss rule. Keep it simple, stupid. Sometimes it's just not worth the aggravation. It's not worth the anxiety. You know, for, if you're going away for weeks at a time, of course, then you got, it's, it's worth putting up with. But keep those things in mind. So anyway, thanks for joining me here. We'll be here next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. I'd love to hear about how your Thanksgiving was. Also, any questions you have during the week even, send them to me here on Instagram. And then um, everyone out there on Pet Life Radio, have a great week, everybody. Um, would love to hear from you as well. So anytime you want to catch me, please do. And uh, again, you can get me a lot of ways. The best way is right here on Pet Life Radio. And that is just Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. And uh, just send me any questions you may have, and I will be happy to answer them online on Sunday. So I think that's it for all of us. And um, thanks for joining me here. And we'll see you here next week, same time. Have a great Thanksgiving. Let's Talk Pets 
every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. 